Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, we continue our look at the Pathways of the Creator with Jack Fleming, and Greg Patton will share some thoughts on having a servant's heart. Two of the resources we have had tremendous response with this month is Jonathan Kahn's new book and DVD, The Return of the Gods, and our brand new Prophecy Calendar. Make sure you get these outstanding resources. They make excellent gifts and are ready to ship today. 1-800-652-1144 or order online, swrc.com. This year's Prophecy Calendar is based on the Jewish roots of Christianity. This year, our calendar is a 16-month calendar and features all major biblical Jewish and Israeli holidays, plus U.S. holidays. Each day contains scripture references to help you read through the Bible in a year, and you will be blessed by the gorgeous photos and artwork. And I'm excited to announce that part of the proceeds from each calendar go to the Onesimus Prison Ministry. When you order a calendar, a calendar is also sent to a prisoner. Order the 16-month Jewish Roots of Christianity calendar today, 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. And remember, for every calendar you order, a calendar will be given to a prisoner free of charge. What a great way to encourage others and share hope with those in prison. Order the brand new 16-month calendar today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. We have special pricing available on bulk orders with free shipping on all orders over $100. 1-800-652-1144 or order online swrc.com. Now, let's join James Collins and our guest, Jack Fleming, as they continue their look at the evidence for creation. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by God, and God has divinely designed you and I to be unique. However, God created us in His own image. We are created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. God designed us so that we would have a personal relationship with Him through His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, humanity itself, created in the image of God, points to a Creator. My guest on the program today is going to teach us about creation and the Creator. Joining me again on Watchmen on the Wall is Jay Newton Fleming, the author of the brand new book, The Pathways of the Creator. Jack, welcome back. It's great to have you on the program with me again. Glad to be here, James. Thank you. Well, last time we were talking about Pangea, and in case somebody missed that, would you explain Pangea for us again? In the pre-flood world, there was one continent. Would you explain Pangea? It is very apparent from the shape of the continents that at one time they could have very easily been fitted together. And the Bible, of course, says that God gathered all the seas together in one place, and he caused the land to come, to come forth out of one place. So that would imply that there was one continent. And of course, all the animals were brought to the ark had to come from all the four corners of the earth, and they could not have crossed water bodies to get there. So they had to have dry land to walk on. And when the people that populated the world back before the flood populated the entire world, they were in all 
corners of the world, and we know that from evidence that we have in Glen Rose, Texas, where we have human beings, pre-flood human beings, with dinosaurs. We have their footprints together. And there have to be pre-flood because dinosaurs and human beings, before the flood, were all wiped out, of course, by the flood. But we know dinosaurs were wiped out, for the most part, by the flood, except for the ones that were saved on the ark. So we know that men have been in all over the world before the flood. There are actually human footprints, by the way, in Arkansas. They're in the same kind of rock layers in the Cretaceous rock layers that we have down in Glen Rose. We have some Cretaceous rock layers up in the Ozark Mountains that have human footprints in them also. Jack, the Bible speaks about the days of Peleg when the earth was divided. Do you believe that is when Pangaea split apart? That is a kind of a question that needs to be kind of looked at with a little bit different eye because the word Peleg actually means split by water, a water division. Mm. It actually is used in the Bible to indicate a very large drainage pathway between two land masses. That would be what Peleg actually implies. So what you're saying there is, if you went to Nimrod in the days of Nimrod, I believe that the earth was, continents were still connected, not completely connected like they were in Pangea at, before the flood. But at least after the flood up into the time of Nimrod, there was, I believe, a connection between South America and Africa and between Asia and the parts of Australia, people could still go to those parts of the world because, and that's significant, because in Nimrod, all the people were gathered together in one place right. in the plain of Shinar. Now, I did a population study with one of my grandsons who likes mathematics, and we did one of these pop gen equations that tells you how great the population can be if you begin like with a family in so many generations, how many people would you have if they all multiplied and had maximum children and all that sort of thing. And I did that study, and from the days of Noah up to the days of Nimrod, the maximum number of people are pretty close to the number of people you would have would be in the 50,000 range. Mm -hmm. So there were only about 50,000 people or so in that range during the time of Nimrod. Now, if you think about what happened at the Tower of Babel, God confounded their languages and scattered them throughout the world. How could they be scattered to South America, to North America, to right. Asia, to Australia, and to anywhere, everywhere else in the world if there were still not some connections between those continents for them to be able to migrate? That brings up my next question. Doesn't Pangea then explain how we find evidence of a common history throughout all the continents in many cultures, such as ziggurats or pyramids? They're all over the world. I believe that's the truth. And as a matter of fact, this is also significant, too. When we do studies in the Egyptians. We have enough Egyptian mummies from the 13th dynasty or the 14th dynasty, the 12th, 10th, whatever, like that. And we can do genetic studies on where these people came from. And they didn't come from South Africa, South Africa, as most of the people in anthropology contend. They actually came from the land of Shinar. They actually came from the Middle East and not from South Africa. So they actually migrated across that part of the world. And here's another thing, too. The Egyptians had hieroglyphs. The Babylonians used a kind of a writing that was more hieroglyphic than anything else. And guess what? When you get over there to the Aztecs and the Incas and the Mayans, they all used picture writing, too. Mm -hmm. So they used the same thing. And they also employed the same construction techniques to build their temples, build pyramids. As a matter of fact, they constructed stones so closely together that you can't even put a business card between the seam between the stones. So they are very accomplished architects and builders, just like the Egyptians, just like the Babylonians, just like those people from Sinai. So yes, there is a tremendous amount of evidence. And here in Arkansas, 
we have people who constructed mounds of dirt that looked very much like pyramids, shaped the same way as a pyramid, only they were made out of dirt. So, yes, there's a lot of evidence. Taco Canyon demonstrates that people, the, the American Indians, the Anasazi, were very accomplished builders because they had their, they had apartment buildings five stories tall, made totally out of masonry and wooden floors, and they had a commune that were maybe 100,000 Native Americans lived together in one place. And they had extensive structures. Some structures had roofs that spanned like 50, 60 feet. Their buildings had roofs that spanned that far. So they were accomplished builders also. Well, let's change the subject a minute. Let's talk about dinosaurs. Now, contrary to evolution, isn't it true that man walked with dinosaurs? And don't we find evidence of that in places like the Paluxy River in Glen Rose, Texas? Yes, sir, we do. The Paluxy River shows that human beings and dinosaurs did indeed dwell together because we have a footprint of a human being that has been stepped into by an Acrocanthosaurus dinosaur. An Acrocanthosaurus is like a Tyrannosaurus rex. Everybody knows what a Tyrannosaurus rex looks like. Acrocanthosaurus was pretty much like him. The human being, the ratio and the size from the footprint of the human being, the footprint of the Acrocanthosaurus, show that they were both full-grown creatures, you know, full-grown human, full-grown dinosaur. That was in the same rock layer, by the way, which is Cretaceous rock, which is what we think the Cretaceous rocks indicate the beginning of the flood period. So they would have been right at the beginning of the flood. They would have made these footprints together. We have footprints in Arkansas, as I mentioned before, that are in Cretaceous stone. And there are footprints out in New Mexico in White Sands Proving Grounds, hundreds of them, hundreds of human footprints with beasts and animals that lived many, many centuries or, you know, thousands and thousands of years before this time. We haven't found any dinosaurs. I think it would be interesting if we found some dinosaurs in New Mexico and those footprints. Does the Bible have anything to say about dinosaurs? Yes, it does. In the Bible, it talks about Leviathan and Behemoth, of course. Behemoth had a tail like a cedar and a body that was very long and cumbersome, and it walked on four legs. And Leviathan was a sea creature that breathed out fire, had scales that were close together that arrows would bounce off his scales. He breathed out fire. He was a sea creature. But also in the Bible, when it talks about dinosaurs, sometimes it calls them beasts. There are other names that could be also translated dinosaur, if you wanted to use the word. The word dinosaur actually is an 18th century word. It means thunder lizard or great lizard. We haven't used that term only for the past 150 or 200 years. This is James Collins, and my guest today on Watchmen on the Wall is J. Newton Fleming. We're talking with Jack about his new book, The Pathways of the Creator. The book is a discussion of origins and a scientific commentary on Genesis chapters 1 through 11. The Pathways of the Creator looks at creation from the most minute particles to the vastness of the universe. The book is only available at our Resource Center, and you can order a copy now by calling 1-800-652-1144. That toll-free number, once again, is 1-800-652-1144. Or you can always order online at swrc.com. Now, Jack, in The Pathways of the Creator, you write that the Earth is not billions of years old. Instead, you teach a young Earth. Would you explain young Earth creationism? You could say that when God created the Earth, He created the Earth to be a mature environment in which man can live in. People try to say that, well, don't these rock layers require extremely long periods of time to be able to solidify and become stone? Well, think about this. If you take some gravel and some sand and some cement, Portland cement, which is actually quicklime, 
and you add a little bit of water to that, and you pour it in a form, and you smooth it off, keep it there for about four or five days, you take the form away, and it's hard as a rock. That's concrete. That's man-made sedimentary rock. So when we're talking about ages of rock and everything and, and saying that they're old because of the way they're formed and the fact that they're solidified in a stone, that doesn't make sense because that's just like I said with my illustration on concrete. Rock can form in a very, very short period of time. If we believe, and we do, that God created all of the earth in six days, then he created the earth as a mature living environment with a core that would keep like a furnace in your house that keeps the earth warm with an atmosphere that keeps the temperature mild like your air conditioning in your house, keeps it set at a constant temperature. And then he provided a place for man to live in this environment so that he would have a perfect environment to live in. We found at Mount St. Helens, when the eruption of Mount St. Helens occurred, about one cubic mile of earth or dirt and pyroclastic material was shoved down into Spirit Lake. It was actually sedimentary material. It was loosely compacted sedimentary material. In about a year and a half or two years, that became solid rock. Wow. It had cemented together because of the pyroclastic heat of the material that came out of the volcano and because of the cementing agents that were in the material already. They formed what you might say man-made concrete in this particular instance. It was volcanic-made sedimentary rock. Beatstone forms in a matter of years. I found a set of car keys on the beach in California in San Diego from a 1957 Chevy embedded in sandstone on the beach. Now, it didn't take very long for that to turn into rock either. So this idea that it took a long time for it to solidify and become rock, that's nonsense. The people that came up with that were Lyle and Hutton because they didn't want to believe in God the Creator. They wanted to believe that it all came about by slow, evolving processes, what they call gradual processes. So they came up with this idea of uniformitarianism, that it took a long time for these things to happen. But before then, people didn't question the fact that the Earth was probably a young Earth. As a matter of fact, a man named Usher put dates on the Earth according to the people that the Bible mentions and their ages and everything, and he came up with about 6,000 years from the time of creation up until today, which that could be off a few hundred years maybe. I would say 10,000 years is about the maximum I think the Earth would be old, actually. Jack, you have a chapter in The Pathways of the Creator that is devoted to time. It's mind-blowing. Can you help me understand, isn't God outside of time? Yes, sir. I think time is one of the most interesting aspects of God's creation. God created time actually as a part of man's environment. God's environment does not have time. Time does not exist in God's mind. Time does not exist in heaven. When we talk about time and heaven, we're actually not talking about the elapsing of time. We're talking about the elapsing of thought. Mm-hmm. You know, from one thought to the next is how you would measure time in heaven. Well, for us, time is measured by one event following another event following another event. We're bound here to time as a series of events. God is not bound to time because his is a series of thoughts. God spoke this into existence. God thought this into existence. Einstein actually discovered gravity and acceleration affect how time elapses. For instance, if you were to go into a spaceship and travel out into space at, say, 75% of the speed of light, your time would be elapsing slower than a person on Earth that was bound to Earth time. If you left the Earth at 25 years old and you went for a 20-year journey and you came back, 
you would be only 35, but your twin brother that you left behind might be 65. So time is affected by acceleration. Time is also affected by gravity. We know for sure that clocks on the surface of the Earth run slower than clocks in satellites that circle the Earth. Mm -hmm. That's why we have to have different equations that mark the difference of time is between a satellite and the Earth's surface. So we know that for a fact. There's a time clock at the observatory at Boulder, Colorado, that is identical to the one at Greenwich, England. The one at Greenwich, England runs five microseconds a year slower than the one in Boulder, Colorado, and they're both exactly the same. Jack, doesn't the fact that God is outside of time help to explain Bible prophecy? Since God is above time, he has the ability to see all the events within this space-time at the same instant, correct? Exactly. He sees it simultaneously. I wrote it like this when I wrote the article. I said, God is viewing the creation at the same time he is viewing the crucifixion, at the same time he is viewing the white throne judgment. All those three events at exactly the same time. This is brought out by the fact that all of the prophecies of the Old Testament are almost identically or exactly played out in the New Testament and today. For instance, a striking example would be Psalm 22. If you look at Psalm 22, it starts out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The exact words that Jesus used on the cross. It says in there that they pierced my hands and my feet. It says that dogs compassed me. The great bulls of Bashan compassed me. It has all these things that it describes. It says in there that they gave him vinegar to drink. And the various things that are mentioned there, people would say they walked by and they wagged their heads and they said he was able to raise so-and-so from the dead and now let him cast himself down off the cross and save his own life. Things like this that were said that are said in Psalm 22. So that, to me, is evidence that God observed that already and he inspired David to write it down exactly like it occurred. Our lives are the same way, man. God knew what we would do before we did it. He knew that I was going to be saved in 1976 in my house, and I was going to pray to him and and ask him to save me. He knew that already. There are various verses in the Bible that say that God knew beforehand things were going to happen. He knew the life of Job before it ever happened. He knew things in people's lives before they were going to happen. That doesn't mean that he affected them. It doesn't mean that he caused them to be that way. He simply observed them as they happened. That explains what I think explains what, how prophecy works. The book is titled The Pathways of the Creator. The author is J. Newton Fleming. Jack, thank you for your time and an excellent conversation. I really appreciate you. Yes, sir. Thank you very much for inviting me. The complete two-day presentation from Jack Fleming is available on CD when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Today, our featured resources are the books Pathways of the Creator by Jack Fleming and The Secret Doorway by Paul Hutchins. Both books are excellent resources for your personal study and growth. Order both books today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can always order online, swrc.com. Greg Patton is here to look at the life of David to encourage you and I to have a servant's heart. For some reason, I've been talking a lot, preaching a lot about David. 
Trials, Tragedy, Trouble. With the memories of war and victory tucked away deep inside of his head, David entered the royal chamber. His life was drawing to a close, and he knew it. And he was not often wrong. As a youth, he had learned to listen to God's voice deep within his heart. Some may have dismissed his relationship with Yahweh, thinking that he was eccentric and deluded by his own inner longings. You know, but David was different. He'd spent a lifetime reading and studying God's words spoken to Moses and the prophets. As a shepherd boy tending his dad's sheep, and then as a young warrior forced to live away from those he loved, David learned that God desired his fellowship. Even though his life had displayed great courage and faith, it also was dotted with the memory of failure and regret. In David's latter years, the prophet Nathan remained at his side. He was God's voice resounding in David's ears. Nathan knew almost all there was to know about David. He'd witnessed the loving moments of David's life, the time when Israel's king of promise had stood valiantly before the people and accepted all those accolades of the monarchy. After David's sin with Bathsheba, it was Nathan who carried God's judgment to the king. David's heart was crushed. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Those were the words that brought restoration to David's wayward heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Psalm 51, 7. 10, 11. David's plea for mercy is the heart. Acts thirteen twenty two. His prayer was reflective of a humble heart, and he had it. Having a heart for God is a theme that is woven like a thread throughout David's life, first as a youth and then as a man. David loved Almighty God, not just because it was the right thing to do or because it seemed politically correct. After all, David was Jewish. Jewish men were taught to love and worship Yahweh. Instead, David loved the Lord out of a heartfelt passion. Now, as an aging ruler, David was about to perform one of his last deeds given to him by God, outline the building of the temple. He had hoped to build the temple himself, but God had chosen his son Solomon to oversee that. The word of the Lord came to David, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars, and you shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood. Your son Solomon shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. First Chronicles 22. Now, while David had longed to build a place where God could be worshipped, he did not hesitate in doing what God said, commanded. Obedience to God was the cornerstone of his life. If you could write your epitaph, what would it say today? There's nothing more honorable or noble than what God said about David, he's a man after my own heart. It was not that David's life was free of conflict. It was not. He knew what it felt like to be hungry and lonely. He spent years running from a power-hungry king who sought to kill him at every turn. And through it all, David remained confident. God will fulfill the promises he made to him as a young shepherd boy. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. Psalm 27, 4 and 5. And that's exactly what God did for David. My friend, when our lives are focused on Jesus Christ, the burdens of the day will not seem so weighty. 
when our hearts long to be full of Him and not of ourselves, the perceived needs and fears of our generation, they're going to pale in comparison to His great love and affection toward us. So how do we do it? How do we become men and women after God's own heart? There are several qualities. David made fellowship with God a priority. Fellowship with God was his first concern, and this includes an intimacy with God where a person knows and understands God's love for him or her. In Psalm 16, 8, David writes, I have set the Lord continually before me. And then David placed his complete trust in the Lord. Even as he lay down at night, hiding in the wilderness, he was able to say, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God my rock on whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, Psalm 18, 1 and 2. David was consumed with a passion to obey God. Obedience is a cornerstone of all Christian faith, my friend. Don't ever forget that. And then David had a spirit of humility. Even though he was a handsome, courageous, and a national hero, David continued to give God all the glory, all the credit for his life. His words were not outward gestures delivered so others could hear. It was the very cry of David's heart that God noticed. Pride always will set itself in opposition to humility. But David wrote, You also have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand upholds me, and your gentleness makes me great. Therefore I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord, and I will sing praises to your name. Psalm 18, 35 and 49. And then David, had a servant's heart. Do you? He never lost the ability to see himself as a servant of Almighty God, and he never forgot the life he lived as a shepherd boy. The memory of those years was a solace to his heart whenever he desired to rise up and take matters into his own hands. The intimacy he shared with God was more valuable to David than all the kingdoms of the earth laid at his feet. I believe with all my heart that you cannot lead until you learn to follow. This is the principle that Jesus taught his disciples. Jesus told them that whoever among you wanted to become great must first become a servant, Matthew 20, 26. Is there a Goliath or a Saul in your life today? God will deliver you, but first open up the recesses of your heart and accept God's great love and forgiveness, my friend. Turn your heart toward him today and tell him that you want to be like David. You want to have a heart that is turned toward him and nothing or no one else. When you do this, God's going to bless your life with an abundance of His mercy and immeasurable peace, and you will have great victory in Jesus, my friend, every time. Today, Jack Fleming's book, Pathways of the Creator, is our featured resource. Starting from a scientific viewpoint, Jack Fleming has written a systemic analysis of the meaning of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Written from the conviction that these first 11 chapters are truly historical, Fleming's narrative draws on the biblical text and scientific evidence to affirm a young earth perspective, a six-day creation, the universality of the flood, and more. Order Pathways of the Creator today when you call 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online, swrc.com. Tomorrow, we look at the Jewish feast Rosh Hashanah with Larry Stamm. And J.R. Church from Prophecy in the News will have details on the divine design of the Jewish festivals. 
Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.